Hey family, this is Josh Eggerson. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Faith Restored podcast. Faith Restored is a local church with a global mission to reach the lost and teach the found. And it's our hope that the word you're about to hear today encourages you, inspires you, and builds your faith. If you'd like to learn more about Faith Restored, you can visit us on our website at faithrestored.church. Now let's go live into this week's message. Second Chronicles chapter 20. I'm going to begin reading at verse number one. Hear the word of the Lord. It says, and now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon together with some of the Minuites came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat saying, a great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea out of Aram. And behold, they are at Hazazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the nations? And power and might are in your hands so that no one can stand against you. And did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? And they have lived in it and have built you a sanctuary, therefore your name, saying, should evil come upon us, the sword or judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear us and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, who you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Amen. I want to jump down to verse 20. It says, Then they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa, and they went out. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Amen. We're starting uh, a series that we're going to end the year with today called Tis the Season. Amen. And I'm really going to do my best to get you ready for this next season of favor and blessing that I believe that God has us in. And I want to start this series off today uh, with a message entitled, Tis the Season to Believe God. Amen. Tis the Season to Believe God. Amen. Y'all sleep. <laughs> but it's all right. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word and for the opportunity to stand before you and hear from you. And so, God, we ask that as we've come to this moment of preaching that you would speak through lips of clay. Speak, Father, so that through your word we might be challenged, we might be comforted, we might be convicted. And, oh God, if there's someone in the building that does not know you, we pray that this would be the day. This would be the hour that they come to know you as Lord and as Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It is the season to believe God. If, if we're going to, amen, I want to, uh, before I start, amen, uh, I want to give God praise. I almost forgot uh, for uh, Brother Michael Holloway and the word that he brought last week. How many of y'all were blessed by that? Amen. 
uh, I've got enough to win. How many of y'all felt good about that? Amen. That you might not have much, but you got enough to win. You plus God is the majority. Amen. And uh, he did a wonderful job preaching. And I'm glad about it, y'all. I'm glad about it. And uh, that's a lesson. Amen. For uh, anyone who plans to preach, he'll preach again because he did what he was asked to do and then sat on down. Praise God. He didn't try to do too much. Amen. But he did what he was asked to do. And so we thank God for him and for his gift last week. And uh, there was a lot of y'all on the live stream that should have been in church last week. I'm like, uh, I'm like, so-and-so is logged on. I'm like, what they doing logged on? They in Jacksonville. Praise God. That's why we don't stream every week. But, but uh, I thank God for those of you who were here and for those of you who supported him. That made me very proud, not just to see uh, how he preached, but how you all received him. And so uh, that that gives us comfort that we can do what God has assigned us to do uh, across the length and breadth of this country. And I don't have to worry about uh, the church falling apart when I'm gone. So that's a testimony to you all. And I appreciate every one of you uh, that made that happen. Amen. Uh, we, we're in a, a difficult and strange season as a church because God is taking us to a place that many of us have never been. God is pushing us to a level corporately that many of us have never seen. And it's difficult for me to preach to it. I'm going to be honest. Um, because I can't just give you messages that I've warmed over. I can't just give you sermons that I've prepared before. But in order for me to prophetically propel us into destiny and to our next assignment, I've got to really seek God for what he would want me to say to us as a people. And the reality is simply this, that on the next level that God is taking us to, there is blessing on the next level that God is taking us to, there is prosperity. On the next level that God is taking us to, there are things that are going to happen that are going to absolutely blow our minds in a great way. But the reality is with the next level of blessing, there is a next level of attack. There is a next level of difficulty that we also have to prepare ourselves for. And the only way that we're going to be able to have victory on the next level is if we position ourselves with an attitude of trust in God that says we believe God even when the odds are against us because I know that many of us don't want to admit it but the reality of our lives is that the odds are in fact against us you're not educated enough to pull off what God has called you to you're not smart enough you are not gifted enough you are not talented enough to pull off what it is God has called you to pull off because if you were you would not need God and that's why the calling that is on your life that is on your family that is on this house is so big because God wants you to know that in order for you to accomplish it, you need him. And if you look at your life, you have to understand that. You can look at your life and say, I need God so that I can live holy like he wants me to. I need God so that I can manage my money the way he wants me to. I need God so that I can manage my business affairs the way he wants me to. And God says, I'm calling you to something that is so big and is so bright and is so great that you're not going to be able to do it without me you're going to have to trust me in order to get where I'm taking you on the next level and you're going to have to fight demons you're going to have to fight despair you're going to have to fight depression you're going to have to fight anxiety there are enemies on the next level that you prayed to get to that you didn't know you were gonna to have to fight when you got what you prayed for there are enemies in that relationship that you ask God for that you're going to have to be spiritually prepared and spiritually aware so that you you can fight there are going to be enemies in that place of promotion that are going to try to disinherit you and dispossess you and try to take what it is that God has promised you and if you're going to win on the next level this is a season where you've got to believe God like never before I wish y'all would go with me and listen to me God says you've got to trust him and you've got to have faith like you've never had before you've got to believe him like you've never have before you've got to 
step out on faith and trust God and try him and hope and, and put your hope in him in ways that you've never had to do before if you're going to be victorious and really that's what God is calling us to not just individually but as a people this is a season where we've got to believe God and we live in a society that tries to tell us to believe in ourselves and to put our trust in our plans and to put our trust in our connections and to trust the people in our circle but God says you are not going to be successful unless you totally believe me now here is the problem we got so many people we have a lot of people rather in the body who believe in God but don't believe on God yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, they believe in God. Like they believe in the existence of God. They believe that God is out there somewhere in the ether. They believe that God exists, but they do not put their hope on God. They do not depend on him and they do not lean on him to guide them and to lift them through the existence that they live through. Uh, so, some of us say God is out there, but we don't believe on him because our behavior does not reflect a belief on God. Yeah, it does not reflect dependence on him. Our behavior does not reflect the fact that we believe and depend on God. How do I know? Your church attendance is too sporadic for you to really believe on God. God, help me. Uh, your service to God is too sporadic for you to actually believe on God. Because if you really believed on God, you would have to have some sort of consistency in your life as it relates to God. How do you know this, Pastor Josh? Because you believe on your job yeah 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 you you believe in your job you know it's there but you believe on your job how do I know because you know that if you don't show up something bad gonna happen yeah, yeah. If, if, if you fall out of relationship with your employer, it will affect your life. And some of us say we believe in God, but we do not behave as if we believe on God, as if we are dependent upon him for our existence. And this is what God is calling us to as a people. God is calling us to a place where we not only believe in him, but we believe on him. Yeah. Do you believe on God? Do you need him to survive? Do, do, you, do you set your hope upon him? Do you, do you feel when you're out of fellowship with God? Do you, do you, do you, are you bothered when you don't pray? Are you bothered when you're not in the house of worship? Are you bothered when you're not connecting with the saints? Are you bothered when you haven't honored God properly? Are you bothered by that? Because we have a lot of people who are not Christians. They are theists. Yeah. Yeah, a theist is someone who believes in a God somewhere. But God does not call you to be a theist. He called you to be a Christian. A Christian is someone who has relationship with the God of the Bible through Jesus Christ. Why is that important, Pastor Josh? Because if I just believe in a God, I can make a God in whatever image I want a God to look like. Yeah, if I believe in a God, then my desires, my proclivities, my sinfulness can make that God okay with whatever I want him to be okay with. It can make that God understanding of whatever I want him to be understanding of. But if I am a Christian, then I am constrained to not make God in my own image, but I am constrained to obey the God that identifies himself through revelation in his word. That, that means that I don't try to make God okay with stuff that that says he's not okay with. That, 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 that means that I don't try to remake God in my own image. Yeah, stuff that I understand, I try to say God is understanding of. And, and really by understanding, we're not talking about cognitive uh, assertion, we're talking about accommodation. Yeah, when, when we say God understands, we're really not questioning the intelligence of God. We're questioning whether or not God is okay with what we say. Yeah, so God understands physically that you got needs, beloved. He put them there. But he's not okay with you stepping outside of his will to fulfill those needs. God understands that you got bills. He said there's always going to be somebody to pay and there's always going to be broke people in the earth. God understands money. 
but he's not okay with you dishonoring him with your money. Y'all hear what I'm saying? See, we, we, we believe in a God, but we don't want to believe on God. We don't want to identify with the God of the Bible. And God says, if you really want to go to the next level, you got to have a belief on me that can sustain you on the next level. See, some of us, the reason why we haven't gotten the things that we're asking God for is because we're not in relationship with God to the degree that we can handle the things that we're asking him for. Yeah. You got a desire that your relationship can't sustain. Oh, man, I, I, I wish I had some help. See, see, you want God to do things for you in your life that your prayer life, your study life, your worship life, your consecration life can't handle. You don't pray enough for a pay raise. You a $16 an hour Christian. Because if God gave you any more, you'd lose your mind. Now, some of y'all ain't even $16 an hour Christians. I'm sorry. You can't tithe making what you make now. And the tithe, let me help you. The tithe is not just there to sustain the church. That is also what it's for. But the tithe is there to show your money that it is not God over you. God does not just command the tithe. You got to understand this now. I'm trying to help y'all. I'm not trying to put together a cute little message for y'all today. I want y'all to get help today. You hear what I'm saying? The tithe is not just there to support the church. The tithe is there off of the top. It's the first tenth. It's not a tenth. It's not the middle tenth. It's not the last tenth. It is the first tenth off of the top. Before you get your nails done, your hair done, your fresh cut, before you get anything, you need to set the tithe aside. Why? Because the tithe puts your money in subjection. Because whether you know it or not, there is not a spirit on your money, but there is a spirit of greed over your money. And what happens is when you take the tithe off of the top, it puts the spirit of greed under subjection. It says, look, before I do anything, you need to know money that God comes first. And the reason why God won't give you more is because you won't subject the spirit of greed with what you got now. You greedy and broke. Greedy and can only put $5 of gas in your car. And you want God to give you more, but you won't trust him with what you have. Stingy people don't get blessed on the next level. Yeah. Okay, Pastor Josh, but I know people who don't tithe and they got money. That, that's, that's true. Because the Bible says all you got to do to get money is to work for it. But the blessing of the Lord maketh rich and addeth no sorrow to it. See, some of y'all got money and you in pain. You got money and you stressed out. You got money and you still tripping over stuff. But God says the blessing of the Lord, it maketh rich and it doesn't bring any sorrow to it. See, you got the blessing of self. And if you bless yourself, you got to keep yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah if you want to live... Under the favor of God, you've got to get to a place where you trust God with everything that you have. Yeah. Do y'all hear what I'm saying to you? God says, I'm trying to get you to the next level. This is the season where I'm going to promote you. This is the season where I'm going to prosper you. But you've got to know how to live in a place of prosperity. Yeah. Yeah. Stingy people won't make it in the promised land. Fearful people will not make it in the promised land. People who cannot trust God. And that's why you got to watch who you allow to give you advice and to who, who you allow to speak over you and who you allow to cover you in prayer in this season. Don't let people who are afraid be your intercessors. God, help me. Don't let people who are messy and who gossip be your intercessors. God, help me. You got to have people in your life that can help you trust God for real. Yeah, that's why you got to use discernment. Everybody who prays is not an intercessor, just like everybody who cooks is not a chef. Yeah, you can make a ham sandwich. That don't mean you need to open up a, 
a restaurant. You can take some Thanksgiving leftovers and make a good turkey sandwich. That doesn't mean you need to make a restaurant. Do you hear what I'm saying? And just because you can pray, even if you pray good out loud, that does not make you an intercessor. Can I help you? You got to use discernment because intercessors hate gossip. Intercessors are so possessed with prayer and so consumed with intercession that they don't want no extra stuff to pray for. Because when you tell me your mess, that means I got to cover you, not to expose you. So I'm not in a hurry to hear what the latest gossip is. I tell people all the time, the reason why most people tell me their business is because God gives them a sense of security because I don't be out here telling folk business. Stuff will happen, and my wife be like, did you know such and such? I be like, yeah. When did you know? Like four weeks ago. Why you ain't saying that? Because it wasn't my business to tell. Intercessors ain't petty. Intercessors are not petty. You can't be an intercessor and be petty. God don't trust petty people with sensitive information. That's why you always got to hear it through the grapevine. Intercessors hear God. Can I tell y'all a secret? And I don't call myself prophet or nothing like that. It ain't on my business card or nothing like that. But most of the stuff y'all tell me, I already know because I got the Holy Ghost. And God can trust me to tell me stuff in the Holy Ghost because I'm not always looking for somebody business to tell. The reason why y'all got to hear it from somebody who heard it from somebody who heard it from somebody is because God don't talk to you. I'm trying to help. I'm trying to help y'all get to the next level. I'm trying to help y'all. Because this is a season where God is taking us to a place. And we got to be the church that we advertise on Facebook. We got to be the church that we advertise on the website. We got to be the church that, that is not petty, that is not mean, that is not tripping on people because they got issues, that welcomes people in spite of the things that they've done. And if you're going to be that kind of a church, then we got to be ready for life on the next level. I mean, you got to get your money right. That means you got to get your mind right. Married folk, that means you got to get your marriage right. We got to get the culture of our ministry right to the place where nobody feels alone. It's too few of us in here for everybody not to know anybody. People coming to church and leaving like it's 2,000 folk in here. The devil is a liar. You ain't said hi to nobody. If you say hi to me every week but you don't speak to nobody else, you're wrong. I know you're here. I see you. I stand up here. I see all of y'all. Hey, everybody. Just in case you don't get to speak to me after church, but don't leave here and don't talk to nobody else because you're wrong. We're trying to create family here. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm laying the foundation for where God is taking us, where where God is getting ready to take us is a place where people are looking for something to believe in. That they're looking for a church that, that really is what they say they are and who they say they are. Where leaders really are praying for them and not praying upon them. People who are looking for a place where their faith can be restored, where their hope can be renewed. And this is a place, this is a season rather, where we've got to make sure that we're that place. Y'all hear what I'm saying to you? God says, look, if, if, if you really want this season of your life to end in victory. Let me get back to my text. You got to believe in me. That's really what's happening in the text. The Bible says that there is a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. Judah is different than Israel. The Bible says that after Solomon, David's son, died, that Solomon's son, Rehoboam, took over the kingdom. And because Rehoboam was reckless and he was rude and he was unkind and he had a bunch of immature friends giving him advice, the Bible says that the kingdom of Israel split into two kingdoms with the ten northern tribes at the top and then Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh at the bottom. And so the Bible says that there was a king over Judah and there was a king over Israel at the time of our text. Beloved, the Bible says that the king of Israel was a wicked name, man named Ahab. Now, you might not be familiar with Ahab, but you definitely know his wife. It was a woman by the name of Jezebel. Yeah, it's bad when a man is known by his wife. You know, typically they'd be like, that's so-and-so's wife. But they said Ahab is Jezebel's husband. Yeah, uh, uh, Jezebel 
ran Ahab to the degree that when Jezebel died, Ahab was lost without her and he soon died after. The Bible says that in chapter 19 of 2 Chronicles, Ahab has just died. And Jehoshaphat goes back to Judah uh, after thanking God that he did not lose his life uh, with Ahab in the battle. And let me pause there because some of y'all are in danger, not because you're doing dangerous stuff, but because you're around the wrong people. Yeah, yeah. Jehoshaphat almost lost his life, not because he didn't need to fight, but because he went to battle with the wrong person. He went to battle with Ahab and almost lost his life. And God spared him because he shouldn't have been there in the first place, but God spared his life. And so the Bible says in chapter 19 that Jehoshaphat goes back to Judah, goes back home and thanks God for sparing his life. But in chapter 20, the Bible says after this, Another battle happens. You missed it. Jehoshaphat has just thanked God for getting him out of a battle. The Bible says that after this, another battle happens. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know you thought that after the battle was over, it was going to be a season of peace. It was going to be a season of rest. It was going to be a season where you were able to enjoy what it was that God had just done for you. But God said in this next season, you're going to always have to be on ready because it's not a season of peace. This is a season of warfare. Oh God, can I, can I help you? The, the season of promotion is a season of warfare. The Bible says that after the battle was over, God spared Jehoshaphat's life. But God didn't spare Jehoshaphat's life so that Jehoshaphat could get lazy. He spared Jehoshaphat's life so that Jehoshaphat could get ready to fight again. You've been wondering why things have been happening to you in your life. You've been wondering why things have been going this way in your life. You've been wondering how come it seems like every time it's one thing, it's another. Every time I get this fixed, something else happens. Every time I get this together, there's something else that happens. It's because you are in a season of warfare. There is always going to be an enemy coming against you. Yeah, it's always going to be. An enemy coming against you. What is interesting to me about this particular enemy is that this particular enemy in the text, this particular battle is a battle against people that Israel had the strength to take out at one time, but they didn't. And now that Israel is divided, now that Israel is weak, the enemy that they could have taken out years ago, but they showed mercy to, is coming back to attack them. I know y'all can't identify with that because you never had anybody in your life that you could have got together. You never had anybody in your life that you could have straightened out, that you could have showed uh, who was boss, that you could have put your foot down on their neck and crushed them. Uh, but instead, you let them live. You let them off easy. But now they're acting like they big and bad when you're at your low point. There's nothing worse than when you got people in your life that you could have handled, but you didn't. But now they're looking at you like something's wrong with you. Uh, but they don't remember when you let them live and that's what Jehoshaphat's problem is Jehoshaphat said look God we could have killed them when we came out of Egypt but you told us not to mess with them these are Esau's children God says said they are the descendants of your kindred Esau so leave them alone and some folk don't even realize that every breath they breathe is an act of mercy because you were about to take them out, but God told you to leave them alone. God, help me. Yeah, I was about to post the screenshots and mess your life up. But God said... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to tell people how much you fronting and how broke you really are and how jacked up your life really is. But you told me to... Some people don't understand that they're riding on mercy because God told you not to destroy you. God says, look, leave them alone, but now years later they're attacking. And in the midst of the attack, Jehoshaphat, the Bible says, sets himself to seek the Lord. You missed it. Let me run it back. Jehoshaphat hears that the attack is coming. He hears that the people that are attacking him are more numerous than he is. 
He hears that the people who are attacking him are greater and more strong than he is. But he does not create a battle plan first. The first thing he does is he sets himself to seek the Lord. It doesn't say he seeks the Lord. Look at the text. It says he sets himself to seek the Lord. He positions himself. He puts himself, hear me, in proper position to seek the Lord. Which lets us know that prayer, although it can be done in any place, he's teaching us that there is a proper posture and a position for seeking God in crisis. In order for him to set himself to seek the Lord, there had to be a place in his life that was prepared to seek the Lord in. Do you hear what I'm saying? He had to have a place in his life where he sought God. Do you hear what I'm saying? In the text, it was the temple. It was the house of God. Listen to me. You got to have a space in your life where you know God dwells, that you run to in the time of trouble. You cannot just have everywhere. This, this, why, this why I tell people, you can't just worship God at your house. You should be able to worship God in your house, but you do too many other things in your house to just worship God in your house. That's why I tell people, you shouldn't just have a phone. I'm tired of Christians not having Bibles and, and having apps and stuff. And I'm cool. I'm with technology. I got more uh, devices than most of y'all. My kids probably got more devices than most of y'all grown folks got. I'm all about technology. But the reason why I don't like to bring just an iPad or a phone to church is because I can be looking at some of anything on my phone. I can be looking at some of anything on my iPad. I can go on anything on my computer. But when I, when I want to look at the word of God, I pick up a Bible because all that's in here is God. And that's why some of y'all can't read the Bible straight because you on that phone. A notification come through, you press it. Next thing you know, you texting somebody. Next thing you know, you looking at something on Instagram and you can't set yourself to seek God. Jehoshaphat says you got to have a space in your life. I, 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 I'm, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I'm tired of Christians that want to be taken seriously, but you don't have a Bible. Like you, don't, you, don't, you don't have a Bible. How you got a notebook, you ain't got a Bible? How you got a laptop, but you don't have a Bible? And we live in an era where all you got to do is go on some websites and send in your email address and your mailing address, and they'll send you a brand new Bible for free. You got to position yourself to seek the Lord. Do you hear what I'm saying? You got to get out of a place of distraction. That's why you got to come into the house of God. That's why you got to get in the discipline of getting up out of your bed, putting your clothes on, coming to the house of worship, being here on time. Because you got to show God, show the devil, show your enemies that there is something that you do that is different than what the rest of the world does. When you are in trouble, you don't stay under your covers like everybody else. You got to get yourself in position to seek the Lord. Y'all hear what I'm saying? Jehoshaphat says, look, uh, we're coming into the house of God, and I'm going to set myself to seek the Lord. And when Jehoshaphat begins to seek the Lord, this is what he does. He recites God's past performance. He begins to rehearse to himself and to the people and to God. Everything that they've seen God do in the past. He says, oh God, you are God over all the nations. And in your hand, there is power and might so that no one can stand against you. And you drove out the inhabitants of this land and gave it to us as an inheritance. He begins to recite everything that God has done. And some of us really need to do that in our own lives. 
Because God doesn't have you recite his past performance so that he can remember. He has you recite his past performance to encourage you about what God has done in the past. God, help me see. Some of y'all are tripping, but you don't realize that you got enough history with God to where you shouldn't be scared of anything that the devil is doing to you. You got enough history with God to where you should be excited about what God has done. All right. I got 10 minutes. Let me quit. So. Jehoshaphat says, look, God, we believe you. We're coming to you and we're standing in this house because your name is in this house. Yeah. Your name is in this house. What is your name? That name. I am that I am that name. That means help. So Jehoshaphat says, God, we're here in your house because we believe that there is help in your house. Yeah. Yeah. And matter of fact, let me pause there parenthetically and say that's why I show up. I don't really show up uh, for any of you. I show up here because I believe that when we consecrate this space, when we do what we do here to get it ready for worship, we turn this into the house of God. And I believe that there is help. In the house of God. God help me. I don't know who I'm preaching to. But is there anybody here who can identify with the testimony that there is help for you in the house of God. That there is help that happens in this house that doesn't happen in your house. That there are things that God does here on his home court that he doesn't do at your house. God help me. God says I want you to understand that there is help in the house of God that when you cry out to God in his house he hears you and shows up in a way that he doesn't do anywhere else yeah yeah this is this is God's house and there's help in this house Jehoshaphat says look I'm reciting God's past performance look I believe that there is help in your house but then thirdly Jehoshaphat says look he's showing us Jehoshaphat then shows us what to do when we don't know what to do. Yeah. Jehoshaphat shows us what to do when we don't know what to do. He says, verse 12, he says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. And have you ever been in situations where you were lost? You didn't know what to do. I mean, I mean, let's be honest. Let's talk to some real people who can be honest about the fact that life has hit you with some stuff. And if you were honest, you didn't know how to handle it. You didn't know how you were going to deal with it. You didn't know how you were going to be able to navigate it. There were things that happened in your life that you needed God to help you through. And you didn't know what to do. And the question that the text asks us is what do you do when you don't know what to do? And Jehoshaphat answers it for us in verse 12. He says, when you don't know what to do, you got to set your eyes on the one who does know what to do. Because even though your situation might be a surprise to you, it is not a surprise to the God that is watching over you. So Jehoshaphat says that even when you don't know what to do, you've got to look to God and keep your eyes on him. And can I tell you why many of us get lost in the situations of life? It's because too many of us are watching everything except God. Oh, yeah, let's 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 talk about it. let's be real for a moment. We've got our eyes on everything other than God. You're watching the news, but you're not watching God. You're watching the stock market, but you're not watching God. You're watching your news feed on Facebook and your timeline on Instagram and your feed on Twitter, but you're not watching God. And you wonder why you can't see your way out of the situation that you're in. God says, I am the light at the end of the tunnel of darkness that is trying to consume you. I am your way out of no way. You can't look around at everybody else and think that you're going to make it. Your eyes eyes have to be on me their eyes are watching God it says look we don't know what to do God but our eyes are on you yeah, yeah. When, when are you going to stop watching people and start watching God 
Okay, you mad because people will let you down. God said, I never told you to trust them in the first place. Many of us are broken because we've put our trust in people that God told us not to fool with in the first place. And you broken. And you want God to have sympathy for you. But God is looking at you saying you're broken by your own choice because I never told you to have those people around you in the first place. You're watching your job, and your job lets you down. You thought you were going to find happiness and fulfillment in it. You're watching your aspirations and your relationships because you thought that they were going to give you a sense of identity and make you feel like you belonged. But God says, when are you going to watch me? He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And when Judah, Jehoshaphat was standing there, the Bible says that God raised up a prophet because whenever you pray earnestly, God will always send you a word. Might not be the word that you want, might not be through the vessel that you want to hear it from. But if you pray earnestly, God will send you a response. The Bible says in verse 14 that a, a prophet named Jehaziel stood up. And in verse 15, he says, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, I, I want to help y'all um, because sometimes we misapply texts like that, right? We apply texts like that to every battle. Sometimes the battle that you're fighting is yours because God ain't tell you to start it. That's why you got to live by the Bible because the Bible says as much as it depends on you live peaceably with all people. That's why you can't go around picking fights. God didn't tell you to pick fights with the devil. God told you to serve him. That way you can be sure that when people come against you, God's got to defend you because you didn't do anything to start the fight. But if you were petty and people are coming against you, you might have to fight that battle yourself. Every battle that you fight is not the Lord's. So stop quoting that when you've been messy. Stop quoting that over your finances when you ain't managed your money right. Stop quoting that over your credit when you've been trifling with your bills. Stop quoting that over church people that you've been messy to and now they don't want to fool with you. You talk about don't nobody want to have a place for me in church. They don't want to let me be nothing. You trifling. I don't want to be around you either. We're talking about church hurt that we've inflicted on other people. And when it come back around, we want to lead the church. Every battle is not God's to fight for you. God is not obligated. Hear me good. Y'all need to tweet this. You need to write it in your journal. Some of y'all, because you're messy, need to get it tattooed on your forearm so that you can look at it every time you start some mess. God is not obligated to fight every battle for you. God is only obligated to fight the battles he tells you to fight. Do you hear what I'm saying? God is only obligated to fight for you in the battles that he's told you to fight. So some of y'all are getting your tail whipped in relationships. You're getting your tail whipped on your job. You're getting your tail whipped in your academic pursuits. And it's not because God don't want to fight for you, but God got too much going on to fight your battles of disobedience. He'll let disobedience whip your tail and then cause all things to work together for your good. See, some of y'all, I don't want, I'm be honest. I don't want a Romans 8 and 28 life. Right? Where God has to cause all things to work together for my good. Some things I just want to be good. But if you want to live in a place where things are good, then you've got to be in obedience to God. Look what he says. He says, you will not need to fight in this battle. This one. It's not a blanket statement for all battles. Do you hear what I'm saying? He says, but the battle is the Lord's. It's God's. That means that this is a fight that God picked. That, that, that the reason why 
you're being talked about and the reason why you're being attacked and the reason why you're being maligned is not because of anything messy that you've done. It's because God singled you out. God put his name on you and the enemy is upset with you because God's name is on you. Notice now, Judah is being attacked. God help me. Judah means praise. As a matter of fact, Judah got his name because of praise that came out of a difficult place because the Bible says that Judah's mother named Leah wanted her husband Jacob to love her and so she had babies for him thinking that having those babies were going to make Jacob love her she named the first baby Reuben Reuben which means see me she named the next baby Simeon which means hear me she named the next baby Gad or Dan rather which means hold me and after Jacob did not see her hear her or hold her she had another baby and said this time I'll praise the Lord Lord and the Bible says after that she had no more children by Jacob Judah is praised out of a hard place God help me Judah is a place of praise that is birthed out of a revelation that I ain't got nobody in the world but God but God is enough Judah is a praise that is birthed out of the reality that as long as I've got the love of God God is enough to get me through and notice that Judah is the one that's under attack Because Satan is always trying to attack your praise. Satan is always after your worship. He's always after the revelation that you have in your heart that God is enough. But God says, I'm always going to show up to defend Judah. So you got to believe God. You've got to believe that God is going to fight for you. But then you've got to believe God enough to show up to the fight and keep your hands in your pocket. God help me. Yeah. Yeah. You you, you got to trust God enough to show up to the battle. But commit to not touching your enemies. God help me. Look what he says. He says, look, verse 17. He says, you will not need to fight in this battle, yet station yourself. You've got to understand in the, in the original language of the text, the word station yourself means align yourself as if you were fighting. And when you understand that he's telling the, 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 the army to align themselves as if they were fighting, it makes the next line of the text make even more sense. He says, station yourself, but stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. God, help me. So you mean to tell me That you want me to show up and look at people who don't like me. You want me to show up at work and smile at people who have been talking about me. You you want me to go to that family reunion with the people who I know have been talking about me and my kids and my husband. And you want me to look at them in the face and act like everything is all right. When you told me that I was going to defeat them. But you want me to sit there and not move. It says, stand still and see. And can I tell you the most difficult battle in your life is not going to be the battle that you fight against the devil. It's going to be the battle that you fight against yourself, telling yourself to be still. God, help me. Because some of you have not caught the revelation that if your methods do not honor God, then the ends don't honor God either. That if you don't win God's way, then God gets no glory out of your winning. You can't cheat and then try to bless God with the fruits of your cheating. You can't sin to get more and then bring your more to God and say, God, see, I stole this money for you. Here's my tithe. Lied on my taxes a little bit, but Lord, I brought you yours first. The church will spend your money and you will still die and go to hell. Because God has to be justified in the means to be justified in the ends. And some of us aren't going to win because we don't know how to stand still. I I got to quit, but stand still. The way it is presented in the text, it doesn't mean just stand still at the start. 
It means stand still for the duration of the battle, which means that even when you see your enemy getting whipped, you stand still. That you don't start celebrating because your enemy is losing, but you stand still the whole time. That means that when your enemy's business come out and they're in a scandal and they're embarrassed, you don't start putting up Facebook statuses talking about I told you so. Stand still. The, 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 the picture is being painted here in the text that God is doing battle and he is raining down arrows from heaven. Picture this, right? And he has Israel in a specific place. And he's killing enemies all around. If Israel moves out of position, then they put themselves in harm's way. That's why God tells them, stand still. Stay where I placed you. Because if you move out of where I placed you, you've now put yourself in harm's way. You hear what I'm saying? Some of us are going to get hit by the wrath of God because we can't keep our mouth shut. God say, I'm hitting everybody talking. So you got to be quiet. Y'all hear what I'm saying? He says, stand up, show up, and don't touch your enemies. Verse 20. So this is what Jehoshaphat tells him. He says, look, believe in the Lord. Trust in the Lord your God and you'll be established. Put your trust in his prophets and you'll succeed. The King James says, so shall you prosper. Right? Jehoshaphat's saying, look. I have no idea how God is going to win this battle. But I'm believing that he's going to win it this time around. I'm just believing. I've got faith that says that God is going to win this battle for us. Do you hear what I'm saying? But he says, if we're going to get the victory, we've got to believe God. And through our believing in God, we will be established. If we trust his prophets, meaning if we trust what he said, we will succeed. We got to commit ourselves on the next level to doing what God said. To believing God. And if we do that, the Bible says we will succeed. Here's the good part, verse 21. So then they get ready to go out to battle, but Jehoshaphat does something that if you didn't know what tribe he was from, it wouldn't make sense. But you got to understand that God has equipped you with everything you need to get victory. That, that there is a reason why God called you to this place. He called you to this place so that he, you could do what he's put in you to do. Because the Bible says that at the beginning of the battle, as they went out, Jehoshaphat did not put the warriors in front. But the Bible says he put singers in front. Yeah. That he put singers in front and the singers led out the battle. And that wouldn't make sense until you looked at the fact that Jehoshaphat is the king of Judah. He says, look, so when Jehoshaphat puts the singers out first, he's making a statement, God, you do what you do. And we're going to do what we do, God help me. You do what's in your power. And we're going to do What's in our power? We can't fight, but we can worship. God, help me. We, we can't fight, but we can praise. 
We, we can't get on the battlefield and win, but we can do something that nobody else can do like nobody else can do it. We can praise God. And notice that when they begin to praise God, God help me, uh, what they say is not praising God's military might. They don't praise him as the Lord of hosts. They don't praise him because he's mighty in battle. They say give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. For his mercy endures forever. And some of us need to understand that that is your battle cry. God is not going to give you the victory because of your might. He's going to give you the victory because of his mercy. Yeah, he, he's going to give you the victory. You got to believe then that your praise has power. Yeah. Your praise has power to confuse the enemy. Your praise has power to make the enemy do things that they don't want to do. God help me. Uh, because the Bible says that when they began praising, the enemy got confused and wiped themselves out. Yeah, if they had attacked the enemy, the enemy would have wiped them out. But they started praising and the enemy attacked themselves. That's why I don't understand why there are so many of us who don't want to praise God when we come into the house of God. God says, when you praise me, you're confusing the enemy. And the enemy is going to start doing things to himself that doesn't make sense when you praise me. Because you've got to learn that praise has power to confuse the enemy. Okay. They began singing. The Bible says that the enemy destroyed themselves completely. So verse 24 says, when Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked out toward the multitude and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground and no one had escaped. Can I tell you what you need to believe God for in this season? You need to believe God for total victory. You need to believe that God is going to completely win, that God is not going to leave any residue. As a matter of fact, some of y'all aren't even fighting whole enemies. You're fighting residue from the last season. You, you don't, you're not even fighting a whole enemy. You're, you're fighting residue because you fought something, but you didn't kill it. But that's what happens when you fight for yourself, because you can fight, but you can't destroy but God says, when I fight for you, I'm going to make sure that there is nothing left. I'm going to give you complete victory. I'm going to give you complete victory over your demons. I'm going to give you complete victory over your anxiety, over your depression, over your mental illness. I'm going to give you complete victory over the things that's been trying to follow you from your past. I'm going to give you complete victory. The Bible says no one escaped. Then verse 25, and I'm done. So then Jehoshaphat... When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, because you do realize that with victory, there comes a spoil. You, when you win, God is going to let you take something back. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The enemy doesn't just get to attack you and leave with their stuff after you beat them. No, the enemy has to attack you. When the enemy attacks you and God gives you victory, they got to leave you with some stuff. They got to pay you damages. They got to pay you for pain and suffering and for your loss of sleep and for the tears you cried. The enemy has to pay you. And so Jehoshaphat and them come to collect. But the Bible says that they found so much that it was more than they could carry. And somebody got to believe that in this season, I believe that God is going to give me more than I thought I could handle. Yeah. God, God is going to give me more than I thought I can handle. You, you serve a God that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or think. You, you serve a God that is so big and is so great that he's going to give you more than you thought you could handle. Yeah, he's going to give you more than you thought you were able to deal with because some of us, can I tell y'all, some of us are offending God with low expectations. Can I tell you why God is upset with you? He, he, he's not upset with you because of the person that you slept with. He's not upset with you because of how much you drank. He's not upset with you because of the sin struggle you got. God is upset with you because you don't believe he's able. God is upset with you because you don't believe him for more. 
And God is upset with you because you're living your life in fear, not believing that he can open up a door, not believing that he can handle your enemy, not believing that he can meet your need. And so you live your life as if you don't expect God to do anything for you. I know you ain't going to put your hand up, but there are many of us who aren't showing up to the battle because we honestly don't believe God can win. We think that our issue is so big, our problem is so great, our issues are so severe that God, you, you can do what you did in the Bible, God, I believe that, but my stuff is too jacked up, my family is too crazy, my credit is too down in the toilet, everything about my life is so jacked up, God, you can't do it for me. I can never be a homeowner, I can never get a degree, I can never graduate uh, with my master's, I can never start a business uh, because my stuff is too jacked up, but God says, I'm trying to deliver you from low expectation and when I do it I'm going to blow your mind the Bible says they were three days carrying away the spoil because it was so much God says you got to believe me says you got to believe me in ways that don't make sense the odds are going to be against you the enemies are coming. As a matter of fact, your enemies heard that it was graduation season for you, and because they heard it, they're on the way. Because they don't just come. Enemies don't just come, or supporters don't just come to graduation. You got hecklers that come too. People that want to try to intimidate you and keep you from walking across the stage of life. Keep you from walking into destiny. They heard that your season was coming and they thought that if they showed up, they could embarrass you yes. out of the place that God is taking you. But you got to show up anyway. And believe.